you know, I want to serve Christ, not because I'm afraid that God's going to zap me. I don't serve him because I'm afraid he's going to slam me or pound me, but because he saved me. Because he saved me. It's not out of fear that I desire to serve God, but out of love and appreciation, out of gratitude that I serve him. We learned last week as we looked at the doctrine of salvation that you can't work for your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift that God offers to all who believe on Him. And this morning as we take a look at the doctrine of service, as we take a look at why do we work for Christ, I want us to understand that our salvation has already been purchased. We've already been bought with a price. That the salvation that we enjoy, the fact that heaven is our home, we view it, we see it as a gift that our loving Heavenly Father gives to us. That there are absolutely no rituals that will gain you entrance into heaven. There's absolutely nothing you can do in order to get into those gates. There's nothing you can do that will earn you entrance. It's all through Christ Jesus and believing in Him and His finished work on Calvary's cross. So this morning, we serve Christ, not because we have to, but because we want to. Not in order to stay saved, but because we are saved. And our heart's desire should be to serve Him all the days of our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. Or 8 through, through 10. Turn with me there this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're pretty sure on that. We're, we're pretty solid on that, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. So none of us go around going, boy, look what we've done for God. But look at verse 10. We're saved. The issue is settled. We're children of God. We've been bought with a price. We can sing, redeemed how well love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child is forever I am. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. As we learned last week, the word uh, workmanship there is poema. We literally get the word poem from that Greek word. Or masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. He has saved you. He has made you His and he's begun his work in you. He will perform it. 
That work is to conform you to the image of his son. That's all God's work. That's what he's doing in your life. He has saved you. He has created you unto good works. No works can't save you, but I'm telling you, body of Christ, works are the thing that we do to express our love and our gratitude and our appreciation to the Lord Jesus Christ for that position we have in Him. You didn't work to to get saved. That work was accomplished on Calvary's cross over 2,000 years ago. But boy, what a joy it is knowing that we can be part of that message of salvation, that we can be part of that God's plan to redeem fallen man. For by grace are you saved, but you're created unto good works. And my question this morning that I want to put forth is, what good works are you doing? i got to tell you, it gladdens my heart to get phone calls from so many of you saying, I had a chance to witness to somebody. And you know what always gets me? It always gets me as at the surprise reaction that we have when we share the gospel of Christ It is the power of God into salvation, and we step back and go, wow, that worked. When we share the gospel, well, yeah, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. Shouldn't surprise us. When we do what God has called us to do as his ambassadors, as his ministers of reconciliation, as we serve him, and I think sometimes we get afraid that people are going to reject us or think we're silly or think we're, I don't know what they're going to think, but I really don't care what man thinks. What I care about is what does God think? And boy, he has saved me to serve. He didn't save me to sit. He saved me to serve. And not only has he saved me to serve, not only has he promised to conform me to the image of his son that, that, that he's begun his work in me and in you and he will perform it, that he's going to bring that work about, he gives us the joy to be part of that message of salvation. And when we share it to some, with someone, yeah, some people are going to reject it, but they're not rejecting me. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Instead of being mad or angry, how dare you reject what I just told you? Boy, you need to grieve for that individual and be even bolder and understand this, that you might just be planting the seed that somebody else is going to come along and water. And sometimes that seed has to be watered a bunch of times. And then God gives the increase and they'll hear the gospel I mean, I, I don't know how many times I heard the gospel growing up as a kid. But then I heard the gospel. And boom, it just it made sense. And I'm convinced now that it's because that seed was planted by loving grandparents, by precious relatives, by dear friends, by preachers years before. And people came along and they 
watered it, watered and watered, and there came that time when God gave the increase, and I become, became that new creation. That's the way God works. So what God calls us to do is to faithfully work for Him. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Can it get any clearer than this? Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, well, works of righteousness, those are good things. Well, some of, I mean, Paul's making sure that it's not by the good things that you've done, the preaching and the teaching, it's, it's, that's not what saves you. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. I mean, it, the Lord didn't stop there as he was giving Paul his revelation. Look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that you confirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Good works. See, God wants you to work. He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to be an instrument of praise. He wants you to be an instrument in His hands to get the message that a world desperately needs to hear is that Christ is the answer, that Jesus saves. It's not by works of righteousness you've done, but by His mercy He saved you. But this is the faithful saying, for those of you who have believed in God, that you might be careful to maintain good works. And these things are good and profitable unto men. Look at Titus 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Not a little bit. Not most. Not some. All. I love that word all. From all iniquity. He has absolutely, positively saved us. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of what? Good works. Good works. So again, Christ hasn't saved us to sit. What does God expect of those who have been redeemed? To work. To serve him to be used by him in such a way that he will be glorified. The truth of the matter is, is you have been changed. You have been made a new creation, a new creature in Christ. You are no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. In Adam we all die. In Christ we're all made alive. So there's absolutely nothing you can do to change that standing that we have with God in Christ. 
You are a new creation. You are now in Christ. You are to put on the new man. And you're to live your life like it. There, there has something happened that is different about you. You have been changed. You're now a joint heir. You're a child of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I think fits into here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So Paul's talking to believers. He's talking brothers and sisters in Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's just logical. It just makes sense. It's the thing that believers need to be doing, and that is working for Christ. Not working for your salvation, but working because of your salvation. That is your reasonable service. Verse, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you. You know, he's just telling them, I mean, I, he's, the word there, that word for beseech is, is not beg, it's not to plead, but basically it carries more of an a, a, a intellectual, this just makes sense. Hey, I beseech you by the mercies of God. And you know the one thing that the scriptures call God rich in? Mercies. He's saying, I'm, I, I'm appealing to you. I'm beseeching you by something that God is absolutely rich in that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the word holy there is interesting because that sanctification, that holiness that you have, is God has separated you for his service. That's what the word hagios is. It means separation. God, it is God who sanctifies us. It is absolutely God who sets us apart for his service. But you know, we are instructed to be holy even as he's holy. And for you to be holy means we have an obligation to separate ourselves from the world. We have an obligation to come out from among them and be ye separate. To be holy, to be set apart. And, and I think it has to do with being identified as a believer, as a Christian, as someone who has been changed by the power of God. You know, it, it's old, and it, this, this little quip has been around for a long time, but boy, is it still meaningful today. If it were illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We need to ask ourselves that question from time to time. Amen? If all of a sudden it became illegal to be a believer in Jesus Christ and to read your Bible and to pray, would there be enough evidence to bring charges against you for being a Christian, for being an instrument of God being used of Him? Folks, that's an important, important question. 
That's kind of what verse 2 of Romans 12 is all about. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, verse 1, it says, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. No, you can't save yourself. You can't do anything to make yourself saved other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're saved. You've been redeemed. You've been made a new creation. Now you present your body a living sacrifice unto God. Holy. It's your reasonable service. All through the Scriptures, there is that yielding that we do as those who have been made alive, those who have been redeemed, those who have been set apart, justified, declared righteous, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And don't you be conformed to this world. It's what God's Word says. He's talking to this church in Rome. Yet if I'm right, he's talking to this church here in St. Louis. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you know how you get transformed by the renewing of your mind? Only one way of doing it, and that is in the Word of God. It is the Word of God that just washes. You know, Philippians 4, 8 tells us that whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are honest, all of those things, that's what a believer needs to be thinking about. It's being in God's Word. That's what washes. And those who neglect God's Word, I wonder, how do you expect God to work through you when you neglect His Word? Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ah, folks, we have a responsibility not to save ourselves. You can't do it. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not by works. But I'm telling you this. God's Word is full of examples of God's expectation for those who love Him, for those who claim to know Him, to live our lives for Him. And in, in the Word, to be transformed... It's in the Greek, it's metamorphia. Metamorphia. You know what word we get from metamorphia? Metamorphous. Metamorphous. Now, I've said this before, and somebody said, Well, I think a caterpillar is pretty. Because my example was you know, you have a caterpillar, just worm, just an old worm. And it, it, Start spinning this cocoon around this old worm. It spins it and spins it and spins it, and, and it goes in kind of an ugly creature. Uh, birds love them, so. But anyway, he, they they spin it, and there comes a time that something happens, something occurs. There is that process of metamorphosis where it goes in and spins that cocoon as an ugly caterpillar, and then it breaks out as a beautiful, glorious butterfly, and you go, wow, what happened? The process of metamorphosis. 
That's what happened. There was a change. And boy, is that change obvious. That's what God's Word is saying. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't spin cocoons around us, but we stick our nose in the book and we study God's Word. The washing of His Word is what, what brings all that about. Is that butterfly. And you know what's interesting about that? If at some point you ever see a cocoon and you see the butterfly struggling to open it up and you go in and you pinch it and you kind of open that sack for that, make it where it's not quite so hard for him to emerge or it, I, mean, I don't know if it's male or female, I don't know if it's him or she, but anyway, for it to, to emerge from that cocoon, if you make it simple for that butterfly, do you know what it does not do? It does not fully develop all that God intended for that butterfly to do. Its wings are deformed. The color is not nearly as vibrant. When we make it easy for that metamorphosis process to occur, there's just so much lacking in that butterfly. Now, folks, that's preaching. That butterfly is preaching. As we go through difficult times, as there are hardships, as our, meta, as our process of metamorphosis just seems to be taking longer, and there are times, boy, we wish someone would clip this cocoon open just a little bit. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because God has a plan and purpose. And we stick to His Word. It's your reasonable service is what God's Word says. It just makes sense to serve after all God has done for us. You know what our reaction needs to be? Our reaction needs to be the same as Isaiah's reaction. Look at Isaiah 6. I love this portion of Scripture. Isaiah 6. Isaiah has seen the Lord high and lifted up. He, he, he sees Him on His throne. And Isaiah, a believer, Isaiah, a child of God, his, his response when he sees God so high and lifted up and rightfully adorned, boy, there is conviction, there is repentance, there is surrender when he comes face to face with a living God, when he sees all that God is. His natural response is in verse 8. In Isaiah 6, verse 8, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, here I am, send me. Ah, folks, that needs to be the reaction, the response from those who know Christ, whose lives have been changed. No, we don't have this vision that Isaiah has, but boy, do we have the vision of who Christ is in His Word. And that message still rings out, who will go for us? Who will do what is necessary to speak the words of God? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. That's service. That is service. 
yielding yourself to God. Look at, look at Romans 6. Kind of the same thing here in Romans 6. Romans 6 starts out talking about how we have been crucified with Christ, how we identify with Christ, that we, we identify with his death, we identify with his crucifixion, that the old man has uh, been crucified, we've been buried with him. Um, verse 6 saying, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Look down at verse 11. I mean, oh, that's, that's good doctrinal teaching. That's your position in Christ. You talk about security. You talk about not being able to lose your salvation. You talk about having that right relationship with God. That's what the first part is all about. But look at the verse 11. Likewise, reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Your sin is forgiven. You are saved. But the flesh still desires to be gratified. And God's Word says, talking to these believers, don't you yield your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness. The reason why Paul was saying that is because it was still possible for them to do that. It was a willful decision on the believer's part not to yield his body, their body, as instruments of unrighteousness. That flesh, we'll look at that in just a second, but the flesh and the spirit... Oh boy, they are always warring. And the fact is, the flesh wants to be gratified. Feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me my way, give me my way. But you know, the Spirit also wants to be gratified. And greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of un as members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's your directive. There's an imperative for you. You don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but you yield. You willfully, purposely determine, Lord, I am yours. I've been bought with a price, and so. I surrender. But I'm going to tell you this. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Again, let me tell you, if you're not in the word, even though you are in Christ, you're no longer in Adam, you are in Christ. But if you're not in the word... If you're not feasting, if you're not feeding, if you're not studying to show yourself approved unto God, there's going to be struggle in your walk with Christ. That's just flat the truth. You know how I know it? Because it's that way in my life. It's that way in my life. Why is it our reasonable service? To be his ambassadors, to be the ministers of the word of reconciliation, 
Why is that a reasonable service? Well, number one, because you're not going to hell. Right? You're not going to hell. And I'm just, I am so thankful that I am not going to hell. God, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. You have saved me from hell. I, there will be no weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am not ever going to experience the fires of hell. I am so thankful. Lord, what do you want me to do? Amen? I mean, that just makes that's your reasonable service. Because you're not going to hell if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't believed in Christ, we need to talk. Quickly. Quickly. But why is it your reasonable service? One, you're not going to hell. It's not in your future. Number two, you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. I like that. Eternity. It's a gift from God. I mean, I'm going to heaven. It's my home, either through death or the rapture. But I'm going to heaven. So, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to work for you. I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not because I want a pat on the back. Not because I, I want a high five from anybody in heaven. But because of what he saved me from and saved me to. I just, I want my life to count for him. Don't you? I mean, I want your life. Now, I know you want my life to count for him, but don't you want your life to count for him? Amen. Because heaven is my home. The third reason it's our reasonable service is that <laughs> just the privilege of serving him, just to be used of him, just to be given the opportunity to yield and serve the one who created, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is all-loving. I'm telling you, just to be a part of God's plan of redemption, I'm honored that he allows me a part, a small part, but as a member of the body of Christ, all of us, he calls us to be that ambassador, that minister of the word of reconciliation. I'm honored to be given the task of telling that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Aren't you? I heard or I had someone tell me a while back, Oh, pastor, that's just too simple. That's just too, that's just too simple. Isn't it, though? It is. It is so simple. It is so easy for me, for us. It's offered by God's grace because of his amazing love. But it's not, it wasn't simple when they arrested him. It wasn't simple when they mocked him. It wasn't simple when they beat him. It wasn't simple when they crucified him. What I do now, what we do now, in order 
to be saved, to have that special relationship with Christ, is believe that when he went through, when he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, in order to have that special relationship, we believe that he did that for us. We recognize the fact that we are lost, that we need a Savior. He's the only way to be saved. And by faith, we trust him for that salvation. Salvation wasn't simple. It cost. There was a work, oh, such a work involved in my redemption. Let's turn there. Matthew 27. Real quick. Let's go through that. Why is it my reasonable service? Look at Matthew 27. I'll tell you why. Matthew 27, verse 29. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him. That's why it's my reasonable service, because they mocked my Savior. It says, and they spit on him. They ridiculed him. They smote him on the head. That's why it is my reasonable service. And they stripped him, and they mocked him. Verse 34, and they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him when it should have been me. Should have been me. That's why it's my reasonable service. It's all because of what he did to take our place on Calvary's cross. Galatians chapter 5. Here's what God calls us to do, folks. And let me encourage you to do it as we close this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Start with verse 16. And again, this is an imperative. This is speaking to you, believer, in Christ. It's God's expectation because the Holy Spirit lives within you, He's talking to you personally. Take this personally. Just like His offer of salvation is to you personally, so is His this what directive, this imperative that we get from God. And this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Unfortunately for a lot of believers, your spirit has been made alive. It has been quickened. You're no longer dead in your sins and trespasses because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been made that new creation. But until the rapture comes and this corruptible puts on incorruption and this mortal puts on immortality, we are going to constantly experience that battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. God's word is clear. Which one you need to yield to? Amen? The question is, which one do you yield to? On a consistent basis? Don't you want to get to that point where the, the flesh is just kind of a little small whisper sometimes? And you go, hey, I'm not listening to you. 
You have no influence here. And you know how that happens? When you keep your nose in the book. When you study God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what it takes. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5 and 10 tells us what we're to do as believers. And again, here's another imperative. Yes, you're redeemed. You're going to heaven. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But believer, look what God's Word tells you to do. Not to be saved, but in your Christian walk, there are, or there is an obligation. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Mortify or put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death those things. Verse 9, lie not to one another, seeing that you, you have put off the old man with his deeds. That's talking about your relationship with Adam. You are no longer in Adam. You recognize the fact that Adam... Your old man, he was crucified with Christ. Recognize that you're no longer related to him. You are in Christ. That you've put off the, the old man. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Folks, there is victory in Jesus there is victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a believer, our heart's desire should be to experience that victory hourly, minutely. Is minutely a word? Every minute, every second. Knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can't even do that yourself. You can't even do that yourself. How thankful I am for that. And it's out of gratitude that I say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. Make a difference in this world that so desperately needs you to proclaim from the rooftop that Christ is the answer. Amen? That's your calling. That's your role. That's your job. You are an ambassador. What kind of ambassador are you? Are you a good one? Are you a bad one? What kind of minister of the word of reconciliation are you? Are you a good one? Or are you a terrible one? Father, we come before you this morning, and as we do, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it so clearly and plainly and adequately, Father, it just tells us what it is that we must do not only to be saved. We thank you for how simple that is. But, Father, what your expectations of us as those who have been made new creations is, what your expectations are, Father, may we be faithful to desire to serve you. Father, may we never add to your word, but oh, may we never take away from it. And may we proclaim the truth 
of your word. Father, now I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as Savior, Father, I just pray right now that they will realize that that offer of salvation goes out to all. Father, may they realize that the gift of salvation is theirs for the receiving, for the believing. May they not leave this building here this morning without that understanding that it's your will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, may they give their life and heart to Christ today. And Father, we pray all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.